Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me, please, for the reading of the word. I know it's old-fashioned, but we should honor this, I think. 1 Peter chapter 2. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It goes on, 1 Peter 2, 8 through 12. A stone that causes people to stumble, referring to Jesus, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you then, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Father, I pray that you'd anoint your word in our ears and our hearts to receive today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, it's really great. I mean, I don't know what's going on in the balcony, but you guys like are packed out up there today. Uh, but it's been great seeing new faces and also that are visiting for the first time, but also so many of you that for the first time you're getting back into the flow of things and are responding back. And we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, uh, about reconstructing your faith. And we talked initially about the importance of the church incarnate, in the flesh, gathering together. We talked last week and said, but if we are gathering together, as we're supposed to be doing, and as we're walking together, inevitably, offense happens. It's just part of learning and working together. And then today, I want to talk to you about the calling. Now, I do not have any grandchildren. (laughs) But what I do have, I've been told, is a new little friend. I've got a grand puppy. So one of my sons bought a dog. Now, we've always had dogs. We've had, um, uh, I mean, cat people are okay. But we've always had dogs, and we've always had small dogs that, didn't sh- that don't shed, you know, like a schnauzer or shih tzus. This is a golden retriever. <laughs> so there's like clouds of little yellow everywhere. But I have to admit, um, they are incredibly bright and cordial vehicle, uh, animals. I mean, he's just a, a brilliant dog. His name is Charlie. And he's technically a puppy um, still, but he's nine months to a year, heading towards a year, a couple times here. And um, he's pretty powerful already. Great disposition. 
love this dog. I have to admit, I'm really for the first time considering the idea that big dogs may be cool, you know? So Charlie occasionally, you need dogs need to go out. So um, nobody was watching at this particular time. No one was home. I was there. He's, he's, you know, at the door. So I take Charlie a couple of months ago here, now this was, and I take him for a short little walk for him to take care of whatever he's supposed to take care of. It's freezing cold out. Snow is covering the ground. And as we're going out there, we have a little bit of an encounter. Now, I want to leave Charlie out in the cold for a little while. I want to take you back to this passage of Scripture. We will come back to him at some later time. This passage that's expressing itself here has a linkage to something that was called, or a baseline for what was called the holiness movement. I grew up in the holiness movement. A number of us did. Some of you didn't. Many of you have no idea what I'm talking about. The holiness movement emphasized um, doing things that were right. It was the idea that, that, that you want to be holy before God. You want to be different. You want to set aside in a certain way. And so we would pursue that. The problem often happened, though, is that what began as a passion often became a duty and more than often not resulted in a sense of self-satisfaction, even arrogance, and judging other people. And that was not a good thing. It moved from this passion of encountering God and wanting to see changes in our lives to then as we moved away from God, having it be just a duty that we do, to then before long seeing how much better we are than everyone else because I don't do those things that they do. One story of this that maybe not as humorous to you, but is to me having lived through some of these things. A pastor comes into his church, and he's overwhelmed by the presence of God. And as he's overwhelmed by the presence of God, he walks in the sanctuary and falls to his knees and said, Oh, Lord, I am nothing. Before long, the music pastor walks into the building. He also senses the overwhelming presence of God, and he comes up to the altar next to the pastor and also drops and he says, Oh, Lord, I am nothing. One by one, different staff members walk into the church, all caught by the presence of God, and drop to them. He says, oh, Lord, I am nothing. And as they're at that altar doing this, finally the church custodian walks in, lowest person on the totem pole. And as he walks in, he's also caught with the presence of God and falls to his knees at the altar and says, oh, Lord, I am nothing. At which time the pastor turns over to the music guy, nudges him, points over to him and says, huh. Look who thinks he's nothing now. We start with a passion. It often becomes a duty detached from any connection with God. And the next thing you know, we're judging other people. We're separating ourselves and dismissing them. There is a study that was done a ways back by a guy named Simon Sinek. In his book, Start With Why, he discusses the importance of motivation in a very interesting section. It was entitled, uh, It's What You Can't See That Matters. He was also a marketing exec at one point in time. He said that detergent advertisers once promoted their product with statements like, quote, gets your whites whiter and your brights brighter. That's what the market research revealed customers wanted. But was it really? And Sinek explains, the data was true, but the truth of what people wanted was different. 
The makers of laundry detergent asked customers, or consumers rather, what they wanted from the detergent. And customers said, whiter whites and brighter brights. So brands attempted to differentiate how they got your whites whiter and brights brighter by trying to convince consumers that one additive was more effective than another. You've seen this. No one asked customers why they wanted their clothes clean. Later, a group of anthropologists discovered that this approach wasn't really driving buying decisions. They discovered that when people took their laundry out of the dryer, no one held it up to the light to see how white and bright it was. The first thing people did was smell it. From this, they concluded an amazing discovery, according to Sinek, that feeling clean was more important to people than being clean. It wasn't the fact that it was actually clean or not, but it smelled that way. And so that way it would appear to other people as well. And so it wasn't a matter of actually being clean. It was the presentation or appearance of it. This is the same thing with holiness. There's this external sense of of looking a certain way, but we don't want to really do the work or engage in the things that actually are part of transformation and change. We don't naturally drift towards holiness. D.A. Carson, quoted in Christianity Today not too long ago in an article, actually it's now 20 years old, made this statement, people do not drift toward holiness. Apart from a grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. He said instead this, we drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we have become liberated. This passage of scripture that we just looked at made a statement that we're supposed to be a people that are different. That we recognize our sinfulness. This is what it means to become a Christian. That we recognize our sinfulness. That we recognize that God's grace has covered us through the person and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And that means that we're now acceptable in a way that we weren't before. There's a guy named Bobby Moore. He was captain of the uh, um, soccer, the football team, as they call it over in England. And I think it was 1966 was the World Cup. And he had just won the World Cup for England. And as part of that process, he was now, after the game, going to approach Queen Elizabeth and was going to receive the cup from her hands as the trophy. As he's walking over towards her, he's been on the field playing the game. His hands are all muddy. It was a little wet that day. And you can see him, if you look at the, at the newsreel, as he's walking towards the queen who has pure white gloves on and is going to present him and shake his hand. You can see as he's going towards that, the incredible self-consciousness he has in contrast to the whiteness of her gloves, and he's wiping his hands as desperately as he can on any part of his uniform that's not dirty, trying to clear off what he knows is going to leave some dirt. That's with queen, because they wear white gloves. That's what queens do. God, though, is pure all the way through. 
Our ability to approach him in his holiness, in the purity of who he is, is an absolute impossibility. There's not any sin that he could allow in and have, have, that, have access to heaven. So that has to be addressed. So that's addressed by the sacrifice of Christ, and his righteousness is now our clothing so that God sees Christ's righteousness. And we sit here too often and say, all done, we're good. But that's just the beginning of the process of a life in Christ. It's only the beginning point. This is why it's saying in this passage of Scripture that you're supposed to be like newborn babies, that you're supposed to grow up in your salvation. It says that you've been chosen. You didn't choose God. He chose you. You weren't even aware of your sin or I until his Holy Spirit alerted us to the fact of the dirtiness of our condition. And in that brokenness as we accept Christ and his sacrifice, he chose you. It says that we're to be a a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It says we're supposed to be God's special possession. The original language in the King James was a peculiar people. And early in the church I grew up with, we took that really serious. We were peculiar. We were different. We stood out. We're not like all these other people. But the passage actually is better translated as special possession. Now understand that this doesn't mean that you are now possessed by God. It means that you are his possession, that he's bought you at a great price, that you belong to him. And in belonging to him, there's something special about that. If you go to a museum or you go to an auction and there's certain things auctioned off, the price of what is auctioned off can often increase dramatically in price and value if it's associated with a great person. This was Winston Churchill's original pipe. Pay a lot more for that than the one who will go over and buy at Walmart. You are associated with God. Because of that, and you being his possession, you have a specialness. Now, you're special innately as a human being. But if you become a follower of Christ, there's a particular specialness that comes to that. And so you are called out of darkness. You didn't receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. You weren't a people. Now you are a people. And so now it says this thing about holiness and all. First Peter breaks it down better. Chapter 1, verse 14, 17. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because it's really cool. <laughs> Anybody reading anything out there? Okay. It says, be holy because people will like you more. Be holy because you'll be a lot more successful in business. No, it says, be holy what? What is the focus point? Is it upon the holiness and the doing of things and the list of things? Or is it upon the one who's holy? It's upon the one who's holy. See, the mistake that I saw growing up oftentimes is that people got caught up with the details and so I'm holy because I don't smoke and I don't drink and I don't do this or that. But it was divorced from any real relationship with God. It just became duty or or became a a thing that we did that superiored over other people. But this passage is, is, is vivid. It says we're to be holy because God is holy. So as we have a righteousness because of Christ... There's still now something being worked in us. And the closer we draw to God and his holiness as a characteristic of who he is, the more holy we become. But the focal point is not on the things that are being done because it may take a different route for you than it might for me. 
There are some people in this room that should never have a drop of alcohol because they're raging alcoholics and they'll lose it. There's some of you should never be on Facebook because you can't handle it. Because you are an alcoholic socially. And you start off by just commenting, and the next thing you know is you're stark raving mad. It may be different for individuals. There are some things we can all agree on. We should all agree that we shouldn't be using foul language. We should all agree that we shouldn't be into pornography. We should all agree that sex should be inside marriage. We can all agree that we shouldn't kill people or drive them off the road or shoot them when they cut us off in traffic. That last one's questionable, but... So we all have things we can agree with, but then there's a personal aspect of how that goes on. But the focus is supposed to be upon God. There is a standard that is in the world, and there is something different for God and his people. Boy, that was really like stereo. One here, one there. An amen there, an amen there. And silence in the middle. Do you know, years back, people knew that if they dated a Christian guy or dated a Christian girl, that they would have to wait until they were married to have sex with that person because they were different in their values. That is not the case today. People are Christians, and it still doesn't matter in certain ways of these values or these elements. Everyone's watching pornography. Why not? It's just part of our day and part of our life anymore. Everyone's using foul language. Why not? Again, I'm not trying to focus on a list of things because if we do that, it's going to shut us down in the conversation. We'll have fights and we all get caught up with that or focused on that. But as we draw close to God, as we realize that, yes, we're saved by grace, but God's doing a work in us to make us right for heaven. And there should be a change. If you hang with a really great person, there should be a change in you. As you're caught with, the, with the, the charisma and the power of that personality, you slowly begin to change. The pursuit, though, is of God, not of this list of items. In this passage in 1 Peter that we just read, it says, live out your time as foreigners. Before in the other passage, it said foreigners and exiles. It says that there's supposed to be something unique and different. In other words, this is not our planet. This is a way station. If you're striving for your best life now, you are wrong. If this is your best life now, you are messed up. I'm not saying you can't have a good life, but our best life is yet to come. I'm sorry. I got like two hours sleep last night. When I don't get sleep, I either get very, very drained or I get really manic. Guess which one we're going with today? Actually, I just get intense, or actually, in my case, just a little more intense. But this issue applies. See, people don't care if you don't smoke or drink for the most part. They do care if you rip them off. They do care if you lie to them. They do care if you get caught with this or that other item that affects and has an impact upon their life. When they see you and see no different than what is in the world, what does that mean? title of this is The Calling. It's clear in one part, this past scripture says, you have been called out of darkness. We're a different people. Once we weren't a people, now we are a people. Once we didn't have mercy, now we have mercy. And so we're called out. What does that mean? Well, the term in church, in the scripture, is translated as out of the word ecclesia. 
Now, ecclesia is spelled two different ways. You'll come across it, and you'll say, oh, what's going on here? E-K-K, that's in the original Greek. In the Latin translation, it comes out with the E-C-C. But it means the same thing. It means to call out or to call together. In other words, the church are the people that have been called out of the world, called to Christ, and called to gather together to grow in faith, to draw close to an understanding of God, to be transformed and changed in the process. What does it mean about this holiness? You know, he who called you is holy. He wants us to be holy in our conduct. Because if I am holy, therefore you should be holy. The main idea behind holiness is not moral purity, but it's the idea of apartness. The idea is that God is separate. He's different from his creation, both in his essential nature and in the perfection of his attributes. But instead of building a wall around his apartness, God calls you and me to come to him and share in his apartness. He says to us, be holy, for I am holy. Come out of a world that's been completely damaged and destroyed and dismantled and come and join with me in something that is pure and righteous and holy. This is why he calls out to us. And and the thing is, is we're not even holy in in our own right. We're only holy to the degree that we are close in contact with him. Do you know that there is only one real light, natural light in our solar system? Oh, no, no, no. There's, I know you're going to say it's the sun, Randy, but, but there's the moon, our, our night light. There's all these other planets and all these other... No, they all reflect the light of the sun. The sun's the only natural light source in our solar system. Everything else reflects that source. Some better, some less. In fact, interestingly enough, our moon is so close to us that it looks like the brightest thing in the sky. It only reflects 7% of the sun's light. Venus, on the other hand, resonates and reflects 65% of the sunlight. Venus is more righteous and holy than our moon is. Okay? To what degree do you reflect the light of God. To what degree do I reflect the light of God? We only have that degree of reflection to the degree that we are in relationship with him. And the closer we are to that, the better we can reflect that. And it means something different. It may mean then that it changes how I post on Facebook if I in fact do it all. Of what I drink or don't drink or eat or don't eat of how I treat my body, of how I view sex, of how I view politics, of how I view everything. But if we get obsessed with those lists and trying to check that off, that's not the issue. Draw close to God. Draw into that and let that be a reflection of who we're supposed to be, of his righteousness. If we do that, then we begin to reflect more and more of who he is and we begin to change more and more inside and things drop off and away from us. If we don't, then we just become obnoxious. If we don't, we're no longer special. We're just peculiar. If we don't take hold of his holiness and his righteousness, then we just become self-righteous. Now, we can sit here and say, well, well, I don't want to do this whole holiness thing or pursue God and the challenge of what that will mean for my life as he goes through and checks things and challenges me in that way. If I I do that, then then other people won't like me. They'll reject me. This is why Jesus said, you know, they'll reject you. They rejected me, he said. 
If you're caught up with the world's opinion and what people think of you all the time, then you're never going to be able to grow into the faith. How many of you have ever um, played the game Risk or heard about it? Okay. Loved this game when I was in college. I was the college champion. You have six people play this game. It's for world domination. Okay. And, and, and you, you have the moves are as long as they can be, and you can make agreements and break agreements and all these different things. We'd start a game at 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock at night, and we wouldn't finish till breakfast time. Breakfast time, we're still playing, and so we'd go to breakfast together because we didn't want anybody to make deals. If someone at breakfast time goes to the bathroom, we all go to the bathroom, so nobody's making a deal behind our back, okay? Because you can make a deal, you can cut a deal, you can gang up on someone, and at the end of the game, it's like the Highlander, there can only be one. Loved this game. But here's what I found. The game often reflects the personality of the people that play it. You see, you're free to keep the rules or not keep the rules. You're free to keep your agreements and honor or not. I saw some of the nicest people get so angry at you taking a piece of their thing that they practically would stab you. I saw people that were really quiet, nice, decent people break agreements left and right and lie to the face of the friend that was next to them. It brought out things. For the record, I had a reputation at the college. I never broke one agreement I ever made with anybody in that game. Well, that's this is, who cares? It's, it's a board game. I never broke any agreement I made with any person in the game, even if it meant me paying a price for it later. I couldn't bring myself to do it. You know why? Because I am a really great human being. <laughs> and way superior to everyone else who played that game. No. Because of what I know of God's character, what I know of who he is, would challenge me if I approached it any differently. In Leviticus, which is where the passage that talks about being holy, for I am holy, it's actually a repeat It's a citation of the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 11. I'm the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves. In other words, come aside, be set aside. Come out of this world that has fallen and and debauched. You have a new life that you've been given. You're saved by grace, and that's good, and not by works. But now that you have your clothed in Christ's righteousness, let the transformation work into your heart and mind and change you as you come closer in relationship with God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I'm holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I'm holy. In Leviticus 19.2, he's talking to the whole assembly, the whole church. Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Well, what does that mean for us? And in detail, God, if we're following you, what does that mean? He tells us a few things. Malice. Deceit hypocrisy, envy, slander. We're supposed to set those things aside. Violence, sensual thoughts, lust, all those other issues that can, can drop into play. No, nobody died because, for the most part, uh, and got upset over your smoking or drinking or whatever else. But gossip, slander, violence, all the things that are part of that. We're to have a lifetime pursuit of loving God 
and understanding who he is. And one way to gauge this is in your life is this. If you look and say from last year, beginning of January last year, up until now, if you see no growth, no change of increase in your passion for God or your love for other people, then you are stagnant and are probably drifting away and reflecting less of God. There may be things that have caught you that you can't release, that even you've been challenged on, but you can't release them. And you've been hiding that. And that brings me back into the cold with my dear friend Charlie. So we're outside, snow-covered, cold, dark. Occasionally he'll grab a a, a stick or something. He, you know, these retrievers like to chew. So he pulls real hard and heavy, goes over an area, and suddenly grabs onto something. Now, I can't see in the dark what it is, but I can't let him have stuff in his mouth in general. It's just not a good thing for him to have the bark or whatever the case. So I go to take it. Now, usually with Charlie, he's a great dog. He is better than most human beings. <laughs> he has something in his jaw, and you go to him and say, Charlie, let go, and you open up, and he'll, he'll, he doesn't like it, but he'll open up, and he doesn't bite you. He doesn't attack you like some dogs would do. You open up and you take out what it is. He's like, okay, I'm holding on to it, but okay, I recognize you. Whatever, here. This time, Charlie wasn't having any of it. It was tight as anything. I could not pry him off. I was stunned. I'm like, normally he's responsive. This time, he's fighting me tooth and nail, and I can't feel fully what it is, but I'm having a sense very quickly that it is something that was probably killed by a predator and a piece of it left behind. And as I pry open his jaws, and he's fighting me all the way. He's not biting me, but he's fighting me. And as I slowly pry his jaws open, I'm getting more desperate because I'm realizing this is actually the remainder of a squirrel, and the, and the tail was all the way down his throat already. And you react to that. You're like, ooh. Well, here's the deal. I took it out, finally got it out of him, and when I got it out, and when I got back into the thing and got rid of it, I just licked my hands off. I'm telling you now, from the Lord, this moment happened. Because I thought of that. I thought, I am unclean. I was so grossed out by the fact that I just handled what would have been the back end of a squirrel and the lander of this and, and the griminess and the, and the predatory thing that had killed in this dog. And I'm so gross. And I'm sitting here thinking, I, the last thing I'm going to do is lick off my hands. The last thing I want to do is have anything to touch. This is unclean. And I went in and I washed vigorously. Let's shake hands before you leave today. <laughs> Charlie's much brighter than most human beings. We get a hold of something that a predator of our soul leaves behind, and our jaw sees on it. And we don't let it go. We take literal death into our jaws. And when someone tries to challenge us on us, they do it at their peril. We will growl, we will bite, we will snap at them. Don't you take what's mine. This is my thing. This is mine. But it will kill you. Doesn't matter, it's mine. But it's destroying you. It is unclean and it's making you unclean. It's mine. We clamp down our jaws tight. But if there's even a half witness of a dog and we can turn towards our redeemer, our true master, even with this thing in our jaws and he comes to us and he pries that open 
if we can release that thing, if we can trust our master enough to know this is not good for us, we were meant to be different. Then that can be a change in our lives. The passage of scripture in John chapter 14 says this, if you love me, keep my commands. But I'm saved, I'm good to go. Keep my commands. First John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Not because our doing those things make us, no, we're righteous in Christ. But if you're righteous in Christ and you're in your relationship and you love him and you care what he thinks and what he feels and what his directions are and you accept those as true and good and healthy for you, then you keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That does not mean that we need to be perfect. It doesn't mean we can't fail. It doesn't mean we don't stumble and do stupid things. It doesn't mean that we don't grab hold and and hold on to stuff. But what it does mean is this, that as we turn our face towards our Master and Savior, that as He addresses us by Spirit, that we see who He is, that our jaws drop open. And that thing that is unclean, the thing that we thought we had in our jaws, we finally realize, no, it had its jaws in us. I'm no different than anyone in this room or on the stream at home. I struggle with the same things. If you have any idea at all that you are perfect, please have a short conversation with my wife. (laughs) Or any of my kids. It'll be a very short conversation. look at Charlie in the end he trusted me enough that he let his jaws open it was a struggle but he trusted or respected my authority as as the master whatever in that moment that he did that are we are you am I smarter than a dumb dog what has hold of you? What do you have in your jaws? What is it that you are insistent? You know it's unclean. You know it's not good for you. You know it's not what God has for your life, but you're holding on to it. In this moment of time, today, as you talk about being a calling, I invite you, and I believe God invites you, release that. Now, if you're someone, and, and no judgment, we all have different things to do, and especially in the atrium, I know sometimes the moment that last song goes, we're, we're out there so we can hit the road before anyone else gets on the road, and that's whatever. Or you have obligations. No judgment on this, but I'm going to ask you today, don't leave. It, unless you have an obligation, stay. Because this song that we're about to have played, this moment that we're about to have, I believe is something crafted by the Lord. And so I ask you again, what is it you have in your jaws? What unclean, what thing is there that you know God's asking you to release? Don't get fixed with, with, with lists of things. Look into the eyes of your Savior and Redeemer. In this morning hour, in this place, in this time, release it. Let's begin here. Father, we come before you. Lord, the moment I touched that, that grimy thing of death, I knew it was unclean and I felt defiled. And Lord, there are those of us in this room 
that we know, things we've touched that we shouldn't have, things that we've laid hold of, things that have been part of us, maybe from the time we were kids. And we are saved by your grace, but these things have still clung to us. And Lord, this morning, I pray as you make us cognizant of that, that we would begin the process of laying those things down, either to completely release it today or begin the process in our lives of releasing whatever that is, no matter how much the culture affirms it or how much it may mean rejection by the culture surrounding us. We are to be set apart. We are to be different. We are to pursue you. And that means change in our lives. So this morning, in this place, those of us who did not know mercy, but now know your mercy. Those of us who were not a people, but now are your people. We come to you, Lord, and we turn our eyes to you. Speak to our hearts and our minds by your Holy Spirit, I pray. This morning, you may have felt something stirring you, and you'd say, well, that's just some emotional moment. No, that's the Holy Spirit calling you. He's calling you out. Not in the sense of, maybe he is specifically calling you out on something. Well, he's just calling you out to separate, to pursue his ways. Now, I want to say one other thing to you guys today. Some of you, I, I know, well, sometimes even now, you, you raise your hands, and some of you wonder, what's that about? And it throws you off. Raising hands is a kind of, of a surrender. It's kind of a release and opening up. And I, I just want to encourage you to put a bookmark in your mind for the next time that you worship or you're, or you're in prayer or in, in singing. First time I ever opened up that way, it was awkward. I was afraid people were watching me. And then I realized, you know, nobody cared. And in the end, I realized I didn't care. And there's something physical about that. Now, if you just start off with this, you don't have to go full bore. You can just kind of go, hey, down here. Nobody will notice you. <laughs> okay? Start there. And then it's time you may open up, and maybe before long, you're just full out there. Okay? And if it's done before God, there's an incredible physical aspect of just release. Our bodies and our posture and worship matter. We're physical people. Be holy, for I am holy. Put your eyes on God and pursue that. And whatever that means, there's some things we can all agree, but there's some things that are going to be specifically for you. And whatever God called you this morning to lay down and release, leave it here at this altar today. Leave it. I'll be honest, I'm finding God challenging me right now. Uh, All these last several weeks. (laughs) So hopefully you guys are along for the ride. Father, I pray right now that what you've spoken into us today by your word and by your spirit would take hold. That we wouldn't get caught up in lists, but we wouldn't use the excuse of that to not pursue you and see real change in our lives. That we would not be afraid to be your special possession to be different in a world that is that is needing those differences right now. I pray that our, our jaws this morning would release and all that is unclean and all that is death to us and all these things would be washed away by your grace. Guide us, I pray, as your Holy Spirit as we continue in this walk. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray.